What is happening, everybody? Just want to let you know, this episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. Need to keep your home warm this winter? Be sure to check out Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation at msfi.ca today. Also, we are proud to partner up with Major League Socks for the month of December. On each Saturday night in December, we're giving away a pair of Major League Socks Maple Leaf themed ones just for you. So check out how to win those by watching the prediction season videos on Saturday night. Also, we are very proud to work with the store next door. It is a great locally owned company in Nova Scotia down in Yarmouth. They make and create awesome things out of hockey sticks and they have lots of other home built things for you to check out and great gift ideas so be sure to check out the store next door as well all right guys this episode of the podcast two awesome guests an up-and-coming writer in jeremy ridgewell covers the leafs and also the legend of toronto it is q107's own john derringer host of derringer in the mornings all right guys check her out we'll talk to you soon are you ready to go offside Because it's time for Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts, and myself, Doug Ireland. Alright guys, tonight we are sitting down with one, the newest Leafs writer that I've found, and is Jeremy Ridgewell. Awesome articles all the time. Wicked analysis of the Maple Leafs. How you doing tonight, Jeremy? Not pretty good, how are you? Not too bad at all. And we are sitting down also with another Toronto legend, and that is John Derringer from Q107, Derringer in the mornings. John, how are you doing this evening? Hey, James. I'm well. Thank you, buddy. Well, I'm looking forward to this talk, and we've been talking about trying to get this together for a little bit now. So the good thing is we will get to sit down and talk about the Maple Leafs, but we also get to talk about the culture and hockey. And right now I want to break down the first period. What do you guys think of the Maple Leafs against Buffalo, a game that we need to win to move up in the standings? I'll start with well, you there, John. I, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a terrific period. You know, I think in and watching in a period like that, I, you, know, you kind of I think it, it's a little easier to figure out where Dubas wants this team to go. Like if you have the puck most of the time, good things happen. You can see the the way they've obviously been practicing playing the game that way. Um, yeah, you're right. They they do. They need to tonight. They played three periods like that. I see no reason why they wouldn't get both points. Jeremy, what was your thoughts on the first period, my friend? Well, I think the first thing is that you can notice the difference between Babcock's team and Keith's team, whereas Keith's team likes to hang on to the puck. They're not dumping and chasing, giving up the puck to the other team every time they enter the zone. They're keeping it, and you can see it with the zone time. And you can see it with the chances that they're getting. And more often than not, we're starting to see the Leafs get the first goal, which is fantastic. What I'm liking is where this team is pushing the pace. Sorry? It is a nice change seeing the the Leafs score first as often as they have. Yeah. (laughs) It's bucking the trend from the rest of the season, that's for sure. Well, you, you really see, you know, that there's such obvious synergy now in between the coaching staff and, and management and, and what they want and you know I, I, I think you guys would agree there, there's there's great division 
on on Twitter specifically where I spend a lot of my time, uh, you know, about the makeup of the team. Understandable. I, I think you'd have to be blind not to at least get the argument, regardless of which side of it you may come down on, sandpaper, grit, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you play a period of hockey like that and you have the puck as much as they do. I, you know, I, 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 can, I can understand as they play more that way what the vision is here. And again, I don't know that you have to even agree with the vision to at least acknowledge the much better opportunity to come out nights with two points without giving up one. Yeah. No, well, the, the big problem now is, like you just said, John, is giving up that extra point is a huge problem because you're chasing these teams and now every point matters, especially with our slow start this season. If you were to ask me at the beginning of the season the way the Atlantic would shake out, I would have said Tampa, Boston, Toronto, and we all know where everything is, is falling right now. What do you guys think about the other teams in the division, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, like the Florida Panthers, and the upstart Sort of Buffalo Sabres here. For me, it's hard to see Tampa not making the playoffs, even though they're sitting out right now. I think they're just too good to miss the playoffs. But with the way everything is, I mean, Buffalo has improved. You've seen that. But if I'm correct in this, I think both Tampa and Toronto have easier schedules in the second half than yep. the teams that are ahead of them. No, you're you're 100 percent correct there. What do you what do you think, John? What about the teams in the Atlantic Division? What what is your what are your thoughts so far on the the sputtering teams well, and the upstart ones? Well, I, I certainly agree with Jeremy to the extent that you know how tough to, to bet against Tampa. Um, you know, after even after what happened in the playoffs last year, I mean, they're, they're just the, the the makeup of the team and. Uh, you know, as much of the season as still left to play, I would agree. I, as a matter of fact, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, things turned out the way they have in the last couple of years with, with the, the playoff alignment in the Atlantic. The only difference being Boston, Tampa, Toronto instead of Tampa, Boston. Um, at the end of the day, they're the three best teams still at this point. And, you know, with, with a lot of hockey to play, I think it could very well shake out that way. And I don't think many people would mind if we played someone other than Boston in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a question I'll ask you guys right there. When the playoffs start, who would you like the Toronto Maple Leafs to be playing? Everybody wants the dream matchup against the Montreal Canadiens, but that seems like a team that right now is not going with Drouin and Byron out of the lineup and then Carey Price not playing up to Carey Price levels. I would like to see them honestly play the team they're playing tonight in the Buffalo Sabres. I think it would be great to get that rivalry back and going strong and also be great for the fans because you know both buildings will be rocking. Leafs fans will be in both buildings all the time and it would be one heck of a matchup. But I'm wondering what you guys would like to see. I think exactly the same thing. Well, I, I got to tell you, I guess unpopular opinion, but I, I'd love to see them go at it with Boston again. I, I think in order to truly slay the dragon, and let's face it, at some point the dragon is going to have to be slayed. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 Boston has got to be part of that process, I think. And, and I think a win 
in a series against Boston would mean so much more than a win against any other team, including Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, I, I, hey, uh, bring it on. Bring on the Bruins again, I'd say. <laughs> well, you know, you can look at it at the argument when the Pittsburgh Penguins finally got by the Washington Capitals. Or, sorry, when the Washington Capitals got by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Reverse that order. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we all know what happened. Washington went on their run, won the Cup. You know, they slayed their own dragon. So maybe the Boston Bruins are, like you said, John, the Toronto Maple Leafs dragon, and they need to get this done. But I would like them to face someone else in the first round and then clash it with Boston in the second. Sure, i take that too. But, <laughs> but I think it would be a, a nice a nice part of the package. Oh, it has to be. At this point, it absolutely has to be. <laughs> well, the... The crux of the reason why we were going to do this here is we were all talking basically when everything broke about Bill Peters and Akeem Alou and just locker room culture, especially the stuff with Mitch Marner and Mr. Mike Babcock. So I have to ask both of you, and Jeremy, I'll get you to go first on this one here. Locker room culture in the NHL. Obviously, the NHL has now come out and said they're going to have their four-pillar system. They're going to be monitoring teams, holding teams accountable, Nothing's allowed to be hidden. Everything has to be on the table. I'm wondering what you think changes, and is there more that we haven't seen that is going to come to fruition, and it's going to be either a coach or a GM or a player or something that comes out more and more before this thing comes to a final head. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are there, Jeremy. I think there's probably going to be more coming out. Uh, as players start to feel like you know, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to keep this hidden anymore. Uh, I've got all my, you know, brothers uh, on other teams that are finally coming forward, and I think moving forward, coaches are going to have to learn that you know the old, uh, the old boys' club, so to say. It's uh, that's just not the way you can run a team anymore. What are your thoughts there, John? What do you think is going to be changing in the NHL and? Do you see more on the horizon before this becomes a, an old thing? I, I, the world, the world has changed. The world continues to change, and I, I don't see any reason why why hockey wouldn't. Um, you know, I, I thought that, I, and I think it was Marner who said uh, shortly after. You know, he discussed his situation with Babcock, and he said, you know, when it comes to to everybody else, it, it's their story to tell, and 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 that I totally agree with. This yep. is, you know, for those who have played, maybe those who have been in tough situations, mm-hmm. that is your t- story to tell, and uh, if you want to tell it, there's a there's a form. Well, yeah. the question I want to pose to both of you guys is: there are more players who do want to come out and do want to speak, but then the NHL Players Association came out and said, "Well, no, no, no." Don't do it yourselves. Go through the proper channels. And I say to that, the only reason why everything came to a head with Akeem Alou, and mind you, 10 years later, was the fact that he took the social media and put his story out there, and it caught fire and caught attention, and now we see changes happening. Do you think players should be able to have open forum to let their grievances out, whatever forum they want to use, whether it's social media whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's whatever, a press release, doesn't matter. Or do you think they should keep it behind closed doors with the Players Association and the teams so nobody ever finds out about it? I say that's a bad thing to do, 
because A, you don't get to hear about the situations, and B, the game can't grow if everybody doesn't know. And I'm wondering what you guys think of the the NHLPA basically telling players to, to muzzle themselves and keep it in-house. I think it's kind of a two-edged sword. Um, I think in some aspects, depending on the situation, um, I can understand why they would want to try and you know solve it behind closed doors between player and coach or player and GM, whoever it might be. Um, but I think that you know if the player is not satisfied with where that goes, I think they should have the right to go public. What do you think, John? Yeah, I, I, I agree with what uh, what Jeremy said. I think, you know, we, we're, we're largely dealing with something that involves, you know, a, a deep level of trust. And if you if, if somebody was to trust that process, uh, that's that's their call, that's their decision. But, at, you know, if, if the satisfaction wasn't there going through those channels, then I, you know, I, I think you have to do what you have to do. Now, in saying all of this, what would you guys like to see change within the game? And for me, I would like more diversity. I would like more women in sport in general, but definitely in the NHL, through the managing ranks, coaching staff, whatever it may be. I'd like to see that open up more. And it doesn't seem like the NHL, not that they don't want to, but it just doesn't seem like there's a willingness to to do it all of the time. You see what Toronto did with Kyle Dubas, Haley Wickenheiser, and I don't want to say it like this, but it almost, you look at around the league, it was almost like a token hire, which is ridiculous because of what she's accomplished in her career. I'm wondering what you guys think the NHL will do as a whole, not just to address the issues within the locker room, but to add to diversity throughout the NHL. And John, I'll get you to go first. Well, I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's an organization that has become in with this regime, very, very set in its ways. And, and we've probably seen more social movement within the national hockey league in their decision-making process in the last month than in the last 30 years there you know it's a it's a big step forward and i think you know the the stance on cte for instance would be would be a good example of that so i I don't know really how high our expectations should should be when it comes to the nhl being a progressive organization and again well we, we might disagree about whether we want it to become a progressive organization or not but it doesn't appear to me to be, you know, to be that there's a great, uh, great willingness uh, to to move forward the way the league's constructed. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, I don't see the league changing too much uh, anytime soon. Um, I remember when the league signed Wickenheiser, I thought, you know, this is fantastic. Um, would I like to see more? Uh, be accomplished, you know, female hockey players in the league? Absolutely. Um, do I think it'll happen soon? Probably not. Um, but I think we're getting there. Um, maybe the next five years, who knows? But uh, I would like to see it happen. Well, definitely. There's a lot... a lot. Go ahead, John. A, a, yeah, I was just going to say, I think a lot, too, when it comes to changing the game, can come from, you know, the the very early 
stages of engagement with the game, whether it be, you know, seven or eight or nine or ten years of age, and and having a, a, a different culture. And I know there has been great change in the overall culture in kids' hockey. Um, you know, as, as we know, some of the old nicknames will be gone for various age groups. Those sort of things that do just, you know, show sensitivity, show, a, you know, a desire to move forward. And I, and I think a lot of that change and really what may force the National Hockey League to make some changes down the road is is more, you know, a continuation of the ground, uh, you know, the, the real... Um, uh, groundbreaking change that continues to be made at the at the, the really young ranks. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely, and I mean, a lot of things do come from the grassroots level, and that's what a lot of people have been saying, and I know you mentioned earlier, John, about Twitter, and Jeremy, you're very active on there as well. A lot of people say the grassroots level is where you have to grow, you know, these coaches organically and get, you know, different people into the game through there first and build up and build to the NHL, obviously with experience and more or less being more involved in the game. For us now, with everything that has come out with the Bill Peters and Akeem Alou, you look at Marner and Babcock to an extent, there's also the other side of things where Mark Crawford was being investigated. I don't, I haven't heard anything come down with him as of yet, but then you have players come back and say, well, you know what, I'm not looking for him to be fired I'm also looking for the fact that, yeah, I needed a kick in the pants sometimes. Yeah, I needed my cage rattled in, you know, Sean Avery and um, uh, Brent Sopel. I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are on, on a situation like that where they came out, let their grievances go. One was on the Spittin' Chicklets podcast. And then, of course, we all know Avery puts his own stuff out there. It almost, I wouldn't say it walking it back, but maybe not wanting to see someone lose their job. I'm wondering what your guys' stance are on players kind of doing the middle ground thing with it. And I'll let you go first there, uh, Jeremy. Well, the thing that kind of bothered me when Avery came out was the people who commented saying, well, look at the way Avery played. Um, You know, who is he to come out and accuse anybody of anything? And my response to that is, it doesn't matter what Avery was like on the ice. If you're mistreated in the locker room, there's no place for that. 100%. If you're mistreated, you should be able to air your grievances and always say what's on your mind and what's happening and have someone listen to what you're saying. John, I'm wondering what your thoughts are there, too. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, although I agree, my personal opinion is in agreement with Jeremy's. I think that when you are that type of polarizing player, as, as Avery certainly was, I think that's going to be a natural byproduct any time you weigh in on you know, anything that seriously has to do with the game. Because we, we all know the guy's story. So I, I think it does cloud it a little bit, even though mm-hmm. at the end of the day, nobody, nobody deserves to be mistreated by, by somebody with greater power. Well, to switch gears just a little bit, boys, before we wrap up, obviously the Leafs game is on tonight, and everybody is anxious to watch this. It's a game that we need to win, as we were talking about. I'm wondering for your guys' stance before we wrap this up, where do you see the Maple Leafs finishing, and how do you see the top players on this team performing in John Tavares, Mitch Marner, 
and Austin Matthews. Jeremy, you had the great articles on this stuff. You can have the uh, forum first, buddy. Uh, I think it's safe to say probably third place in the division. Um, I would love to see second place for home ice advantage, but I think third is realistic. Um, And as far as the players, I think you're still going to get 30 goals from Matthews. You're going to get 30 goals from Tavares. I think, uh, you know, they're kind of coming into their own. And once they've got Keith's system down packed, I think they'll be fine. What do you think, John? What's going to happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs and their big stars this season? Well, you know what? I, I'm I'm going to stick with what I said. I remember I told Jeremy the first time we spoke, and it, it, what I thought even from the summer, and that is they're either going deep, and I I agree that third place in the division is is the most realistic place. But I think if they do even end up in third place in the division, that will be because of a really good record from here to then, and hopefully. I think that would continue deep into the playoffs or we're going to see more of what we've seen for a great part of this year and we're going to stumble and not make the playoffs at all. I don't really see a first-round exit this year. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be deep or, or no goal. <laughs> well, the last question I'll leave you gentlemen with here. Toronto Maple Leafs obviously need some assistance on defense. Who do you trade and what do you trade it for? John, you go first on this one, my friend. Well, you know what? Even even in the last... Well, when, when really do trade rumors ever stop? But uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I think like, like so many others, I'm really disappointed in ODCC. I thought, you know, maybe you know maybe looking at it positively he would he would get really comfortable here just hasn't hasn't really been the case um and then i think the other part of the question would therefore be who 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 would you have to move right um and you, you i don't know i i look at a i look at Kathy and go man do i really want to go see him possibly flourish somewhere else Janssen's underachieved a little bit so i think as we look at Defenseman, it's also you know what do we have to give up to get one, and and that is that is an equal question. And at this point, you know what? I figure if 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 good things are going to happen here, got to put a little faith in in this process as it continues. Even though I may not agree with everything that 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 they that they're trying to achieve, uh, I'll let them figure that one out. Jeremy, floor is yours. What do the Leafs trade for, and who do they trade to get it? Um, even though Janssen has really underperformed as far as I think what everyone was expecting, um, the Leafs don't have as much depth on the left wing as they do on the right. So I think if it did come down to it, you're probably looking at Cappy going. Um, my latest article had, uh, two, two mentions in there, David Savard from Columbus or, uh, McNabb from Vegas. I think either of those would be a great addition. Um, it, I don't know if Cappy alone would get it done or if it would have to be a bigger, you know, multiplayer deal, but, uh, obviously that does need to be addressed because I agree with John. I thought when CC came, maybe the changes of scenery would do him good, but, uh, he's, he's not living up to, uh, what I'd like to see. No, CC definitely hasn't lived up to the, 
the expectation, but he was a reclamation project, and also he got Zaitsev off our books for five years. So, you know, we'll take the swap and for one year at least eat the biscuit. But I think we have our answers in the system with Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren. Obviously, Sandin's overplaying for the World Juniors right now, but you have those two young guys who... I wouldn't say look out of place in the, NA, the AHL, but they, they absolutely look like they belong in the NHL right now. So I think the answer might come from within, and they're both players who know Keith's system, both players who have speed and offense upside, so they may be the CC replacements right there. But gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for both taking the time during a Maple Leaf game to sit down and talk about the culture within the NHL, the Maple Leafs, and just having a little fun during a Leafs game. James, thank you very much. Jeremy, good talking with you as well, buddy. Yeah, take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that right there. That was John Derringer from Q107, Derringer in the Mornings, and Jeremy Ridgewell, an up-and-coming Leafs writer that you need to make sure you're checking out all of his articles for Overtime Heroics. All right, guys. That is it for tonight, but I will be back with Doug on Monday. So buckle up. Offsides coming back for your ears. All right. Have a good one.